you don't have to be good at everything because everyone is not good at every, you have weaknesses and it's okay to have weaknesses, but you need to play to your strengths and work in your strengths and pay someone else to work in your weaknesses. Are you a woman who's considered investing in a franchise or running one yourself? Are you searching for honest information to help you make the best decision for your future? Have you ever worried about whether the information you're finding has your best interests in mind? We're here to help. Welcome to Franchise Rising. I'm your host, Aaron Carpenter. Let's get going. Welcome to the Franchise Rising podcast. This is the show where experts, franchisees, and franchisors share stories, strategies, and expert advice for women who want to join or invest in a franchise. The information on this show is not intended as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a franchise and is for information purposes only. If you've been listening and enjoy the show, we'd love it if you spread the word. Tell a friend, subscribe, share it on social media. We're pretty much everywhere at Franchise Rising. And don't hesitate to give us feedback about guests we can bring on and how we can make the show better. You can do all of this by visiting FranchiseRising.com and dropping a note in the chat pane. Without further ado, let's transition to today's guest. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Franchise Rising podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest on today. Her name is Shannon Wilburn. So Shannon is the CEO and co-founder of Just Between Friends. Yep. So, <laughs> so Just Between Friends is North America's leading children's and maternity consignment sales event franchise. So this is fascinating. Uh, Shannon, welcome to the show. I cannot wait to hear more about this. Well, I'm excited to share with you. Okay, great. So Let's just go ahead and get started. What? What? Tell me a little bit more about what this concept is, and then tell me. Tra- let's trace back to the moment when you started, and and you know the inception of this concept and and how it's evolved. Okay, perfect. So, and I'm gonna you you called it uh, North America's leading children's and maternity consignment sales event because that's our tagline. Okay. But we really are a marketplace for families to buy and sell gently used children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment. So, think pop up. That's today's terminology. People understand what that means. So we don't have uh, brick and mortar locations, no storefronts. We are event-based. So our franchisees are basically event planners and they plan two events per year in their territory, one in the first six months of the year and one in the second six months of the year. So that's kind of the concept. Now they can have more than two. But by contract, they have to have one in the first and one in the second six months. So, and these are, I think, um, garage sale on steroids or, um, I don't know. It's, it's amazing when I show people a video of a Just Between Friends event. And you can Google it and probably find interviews all over uh, the internet. Mm-hmm. But they think large scale. So our smaller events are in 5,000 square feet. And that is the size of a basketball floor, the uh, basketball court floor. And those are our smaller events. And we have some events that go all the way up to, I think we have one that's 75,000 square feet. And so you can imagine like 1500 families 
bringing their gently used children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment to one area. It's very organized. Like all the girls' clothes are together by size. All the boys' clothes are together by size. Um, Strollers. I mean, you may have 15 CNCs, but they're all brought by separate families. So you could have one that's priced at $2 and one that's priced at $6, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's, so that's kind of the concept. So Oh, I love this because it's, it's, you know, from a consumer or a mom's perspective, this is the kind of event that you can just ad- attend with a bunch of friends, you know, plan a day of it and say, you know, give, say to the hubbies or whoever, to, hey, can you just stay with the kids? Kids today? are yours today. <laughs> we're we're going to do some power shopping and yes. bring a bunch of girlfriends and then go That's kind of our, um, the concept is you get it all done under one roof. No hopping to the thrift stores, no hopping to the garage sales, no mm-hmm. meetups or picking up stuff off people's front porch or meeting at the local gas station to pick up something from Facebook Marketplace. Right. This is one of those where you come with your list uh, and a tape measure if you want, if you don't know your kid's sizes exactly, and power through and get all your shopping done in one place for the season. Toys, yeah. baby equipment clothing. We even have maternity clothes. Some of our franchisees have juniors clothes. So wide variety. That's so smart. And and every six months makes sense because that's about the amount of time that we need to cycle through one phase of equipment or clothes or, you know, whether it's for kids or if you're pregnant and then move on to the next phase. I'll tell you, Aaron, I've had many people um, contact us and say, well, have you thought about other segments, women's clothes, sporting goods? I mean, all kinds of stuff. And, um, we have tested some of those markets Mm -hmm. and just the need for children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment is there because children grow out of their clothes every six months and toys are developmentally appropriate. And so, you know, you have a need for them for a very short amount of time and then you have a need for something else. So I think that's what really uh, drives the market for those items. And because of that, you don't want to spend a lot of money on it. Right. Because it's going to cycle through. So yet your investment in the, especially for families who have the um, opportunity to pay retail, they have put a huge investment in these items or someone has maybe grandparents, but (laughs) someone has put a lot of investment in these items. And, and some families don't have the um, opportunity just to be able to give them away or donate them or even give them to friends who have kids after them. They have to recoup some of that investment. And so a way to do that is our, our sellers, we call them consigners. Mm-hmm. They make 60 to 70% on whatever they sell. That's huge. Jane. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. And, and I want to get, get into a little bit more about how that works later. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's, let's just start. So many great ideas. Just, you know, we, we all have some spark of idea at some point, I feel yes. like, especially as young moms. And it's, it's initiated by a, a challenge or a pain. Can you tell us a little bit about how yours, this, this started? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how far to go back, but usually yeah. um, I feel like it's important to tell a little bit of my story. When I was 12, I have an identical twin sister and um, we were 
living the high life. My dad was CFO of an oil and gas company in Midland, Texas, and was doing very, very well uh, meeting with the Rockefellers and others, you know, in that industry. And um, he went, we went on a ski trip and he started experiencing some numbness in his legs. And he went from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair in six weeks and was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis which that's a fatigable disease. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't long after that he had the rare kind that progressed. Um, but he, he went and went on disability. And so our life changed significantly from him making six figures in the early eighties to, um, being on disability insurance. And my mom had put him through college. And so she was not a degree professional. Um, and so, uh, we moved from our brand new custom home to a small rent house and we stopped driving to Dallas to go shopping and being able to buy whatever we wanted to shopping consignment. Mm-hmm. And um, our life changed. And I really, I know the Lord had a hand in that because of where just between friends is today. If I didn't have that story to tell, right. um, I wouldn't just between friends would not be blessing as many people as it is today. So I love to tell that part of the story. So uh, fast forward, I get married, I marry a youth minister. So that is not signing up for, Oh, we're going to have lots of money. You know, it's not signing up for a vow of poverty, but it's almost there. And, um, uh, so I knew I was going to continue shopping consignment It just made sense shopping consignment for myself. And when we started having kids, shopping consignment for them. And uh, my son was born in 1994 and my daughter was born in 1996 and I was just already shopping, but I wanted to stay home. And so I had told my mom, I said, if you ever think, see anything that I can do working from home to make a little bit of extra money um, to help with the family budget, let me know. And she worked with a lot of young moms at the time. And they came back from lunch one day with all these bags and they were showing each other what they got. And they had been to a consignment event in Fort Worth, Texas. And so she called me that afternoon and she said, Shannon, you have to hear about this. Like, I know that you already shop consignment, but this is an event. It's not a storefront. And she gave me a smidge of information because she didn't attend and no one knew who started it. And it was there. And then it wasn't there. It's like, who do we call? mysterious event. And it was back before small business had any presence on the internet. So she said, you should start this. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Um, But I called um, a girlfriend from church who's the biggest bargain hunter that I know. Um, Her name's Devin Tackett. And, um, she was such a bargain hunter. She did dumpster diving. She sifted through people's trash. Like if they had stuff on the curb to, she would repurpose it somehow. I mean, she could stretch a dollar. And I called her. I said, what do you think about this idea? She said, I sound, I think it sounds great. Can I do it with you? And I was like, sure. So, so actually Devin is the one who came up with the name just between friends And um, so we started in my living room. We convinced 17 of our friends to bring us their gently used children's um, clothing. And we sold that for my living room, used the kitchen drawers as cash drawers. Someone tried to buy my couch. It was, (laughs) it was, uh, we knew we didn't want it to be a garage sale. So it was indoors. Um, And we sold $2,000 worth of merchandise and I made $150 and Devin made $150. And it was the hardest $150 I think I've ever made. just getting everyone's items ready. Um, and we didn't really have a system in place. So, but, um, 
the families that participated as consigners and the sellers wanted to know when we were going to do it again. And so we knew, okay, this is something that's meeting a need. And so six months later, we did it again. We convinced a friend of ours who are one of our rich friends who had a three car garage. (laughs) If we could do it in their garage, because we needed bigger space. Um, And then every six months it continued. And um, man, fast forward to, to 2003, that was 1997 is when we started to 2003. Uh, We grew the Tulsa business every six months, we would have an event. In the meantime, I don't know how old you are, but back in my day before Facebook, we would send out Christmas letters and we would write what we were doing. I do remember pre-Facebook days. Yes. <laughs> Good. I'm, You're still in that, I'm, I'm in that generation. The bridge is the pre-technology and post-technology. Right. Right. That's good. Well, we would send letters to say what we were doing to friends and family. And yes. my mom would do the same and my sister would do the same. And so friends and family in different states saw what we were doing because we were writing about it in our Christmas letters and they wanted to do it where they were. So over the course of the next three years, we, from 2000 to 2003 is about when we started helping other people do what we were doing in their um, city. So we had about 10 different, just between friends, California, Colorado, um, Texas, um, Florida, and I didn't really know anything about business. My degrees, elementary education. And so before I, before I started JBF, I was a teacher. And um, so no MBA, no background in business whatsoever. So I didn't know that you weren't supposed to let people use your name. So we had done this. Um, and I think over time we realized, and that's a whole nother story why we started franchising, but it was, it was really, if it boils down to, we needed to systematize it. And I was having the same conversation with every person that we'd help. Like, this is how you market to get consigners. This is how you market to get shoppers. This is what we did in this situation. So it was, I was like, oh, I was complaining to a friend and he said, well, have you thought about franchising? And I was like, well, what's that? You know, I had, I had heard of franchising, but I didn't know how it would apply to just between friends. And um, he said, you know, are you profitable in your, in your Tulsa location? I said, yeah. He said, are your um, just between friends that are in California and Colorado and Florida and Texas, are they doing well? I'm like, yeah. He said, well, you've already proven the concept. Again, I had not even heard of that. What's proving the concept? What's the concept? Is yes. this the franchise lingo? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. He said, you need to, you need to franchise this and made it sound so easy. He said, get an, get an attorney and put together an operations manual. Just write out what you've been telling people. And so she, um, yeah. So sorry, that was I just, it. I'm just curious. I'm curious when businesses have that point of decision to franchise as opposed to just continue and keeping everything centralized corporate. Why did yeah. you decide to franchise as opposed to just, I mean, you could have, you could have protected the brand and right. called it just between friends and hired and managed and, and grown that nationally. And I know you're now international. Uh, why did, why franchise and not, not just. So, um, 
again, with no business background, I didn't even know the concept of franchising, much less licensing or growing by corporate locations. We did not have any money. Um, and quite frankly, I, I mean, I, I get calls weekly from people who are wanting to franchise their brand. Mm. And, and um, I was on the phone this last, uh, this last week with someone who has a brand in Oklahoma City and he wants to franchise it and I'm talking him out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to diligently talk him out of it yet because um, yeah, he, I think he could go get investors and grow corporately. Mm-hmm. I didn't, at that point in time, I was, you know, I don't know, my early 30s. I didn't know that you could go get investors. Like someone will give you money to grow your brand if you don't have it. Um, and, you know, franchising is a special industry. It's, it's, I don't know. Um, my attorney, she said, Shannon, I think you're a good franchise or because you could teach school, like you could teach kindergarten. And I know that everyone's not going to agree with this, but she said, uh, franchisees need to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. They need to, they need handholding sometimes, but you also have to be able to give the ones that need independence, independence. And she said, you're good at that. Um, now, I know I've, I've used that analogy with a couple of my franchising friends, and they definitely disagree. But, um, you know, I think it you, I don't know. I think it's just, it's a, it's very hard to be in charge of franchisees because you, they have to follow the rules. And yeah. so fran- people who are looking to purchase a franchise need to be aware that they're coming into a system with rules. Like it's coming into a family who already, they already have the rules set. And if you make the decision to join the family, you have to look at the rules and see if you, if it's something that you feel like you can do and is, is something that you feel like is you, something you want to be a part of. So franchise satisfaction is really I don't know if you've talked about that on your podcast, but no, we need to. Important. Well, yeah, we have in a roundabout way, but not using that exact terminology. Okay, but yeah, that's no, and and that's really important, and, and brands need to consider that because it's it's better for their welfare for the franchisees as well. Yes, um, absolutely. And when I when I tell people um, who are because not only will I get people who want to franchise their brand, but I will get friends um, that are looking to purchase a franchise and they want me to read over the franchise disclosure document or give me their opinion on something or where should they start. And I'm always giving the advice that you need to look at the franchise satisfaction because if the franchisees aren't satisfied in the brand, there's a reason they're not satisfied and you need to figure out why that is. And lots of young brands especially young brands have a lot of satisfaction because they haven't gotten to the point where they've had to Mm. go through hard times, (laughs) you know, everyone, it's still the honeymoon phase, but I think the longevity of the brand has a lot of, um, I think people should look at that, the longevity of the brand. So longevity, satisfaction. Um, what, where do you go to find this franchisee satisfaction? Um, so the, the organization that we use to measure our own franchisee satisfaction is called franchise business review and they send out an annual survey to our franchisees. Our franchisees can answer the questions anonymously, or they can give their 
um, give their names. So they're free to be open and honest is what I'm trying to say. And they measure, I think it's, I think they measure like nine or 10 different things like, um, uh, core values, leadership, um, financial return, uh, technology, uh, marketing and branding, um, training and support. So they measure a lot of things because you can be really high in one area and really low in another. And so they have the reports available for people. Brands that do it can share that information with applicants. Mm. Um, and then they also publish a top list um, so every I, year. So can I access this before even talking to a brand or do I yes. have to wait and request it? I can. Uh-huh. And Oh, that's that's fascinating. And so yeah. what about if there's a brand that chooses not to participate in this process and send it their franchisees? Should I consider that a red flag? Not necessarily because it is it does cost and it's um I think I can't remember exactly what we pay, but it's several thousand dollars to participate okay. because it's a third party putting this on and so they okay. have to be paid for that. Yeah. Um and to get the results, like you can participate in it, but if you want to get the results, which everyone needs to get the results, if they're, right. they're going to be doing, if they're going to be asking, do you like our brand? <laughs> um, how, yeah. how does, you know, they need to be getting the results. But um, if you go to the Franchise Business Review website, um, I believe they have the, their listing of brands. But if, if someone doesn't participate, that doesn't mean that their franchisees aren't satisfied. But there's a, there's a part in every, um, application process um, where you should be contacting past, I mean, past franchisees, current franchisees. Uh, we call it validation. And that's kind mm-hmm. of an industry term mm-hmm. um, where you validate the yeah. concept by people who are running it, maybe mm-hmm. even people who are no longer running it and used to run it. Like, why did they leave? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important to give yourself plenty of time if you're looking into a brand to not just see the shiny object, like, because it's something you want to do and you have the money, like look and see who interview the interview, the franchisees who are currently in the process and ask them about their leadership, ask them about the training and support, ask them about the marketing, ask mm-hmm. them, you know, what, how much they're making. I mean, those are questions that can be on the table uh, for people who are looking to purchase a brand because the term of most FDDs is either five years or 10 years. So mm-hmm. what you're saying is I'm going to, I'm, I'm looking the next five or 10 years to do this. And not that you can't sell your business at any point in time, because that's also on the table. But if you're in a long-term lease or a brick and mortar location or a storefront, then you need to consider those types of things too. I think service-based businesses like Just Between Friends are easier to have a short-term commitment because it's, ours is a low-cost franchise. Like you need Mm -hmm. about, we tell people you need to have cash available cash available of about $45,000. Okay. And that will help you get your first um, event underway, hopefully um, get you through your second event and you'll be able to start making some money. But we, um, I think it's easier to walk away from service-based businesses because you aren't locked into a long-term lease. Right. And you're not so. investing as, in as much heavy capital as Correct. you may be. Like if in I have assets. ice cream part, right, in the assets. Yes. Yep. Yeah, no, so much to consider. And I love yeah. that you're bringing to us an idea of a, a service-based 
business that's not that doesn't depend on a fixed location because right. I know there's a lot of people there are a lot of women in our audience who are who are curious about that kind of opportunity and and frankly so many women who thought always thought hey I want to do my own thing they think a franchise is still from the classic uh, the classic perspective of you know the the McDonald's the yes the, the subways and and it's just a it's a wide world wild world right. You know, one of the things that um, I've got a business mentor, he's like, you know, the smaller the investment, um, the less risk, the less potential. So that's kind of his, he said, the greater the risk, the greater the potential. Um, And I don't know if I agree with that 100%. um, But, you know, when, when your listeners are looking for a franchise with which to partner to become, and because that's what you're doing, really, when you choose a brand to purchase, you are partnering with that brand and you're partnering with every other franchisee. That's a part of that system, whether good or bad, Mm -hmm. the lowest performing franchisee can determine how your business does. So you need to look at that as well. But, and I had a point I was going and I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Sorry about that. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Um, I, I, something struck me from a question that you, your something you, a point you made, a few minutes ago, you talked about how some of the smaller brands might have a lot of happy franchisees because they haven't gone through the hard times yet. Right. So there is a concept out there called the six stages of franchising. And that, again, is something that you can Google. And I believe, um, I'm going to forget the gentleman's name who, I think he was one who came up with this. But anyway, um, look up six stages of franchising. And this is something that at training, we actually go through this with our franchisees um, when they first get to training. It's like you are in the glee stage. And that means that I'm happy with you. You're happy with me. You've just bought a business. You think you're going to make a lot of money. Everyone is happy. And then comes the fee stage. You have to pay your first royalties. You have to pay your marketing branding fund. You have technology fees. And you're like, wow, I would be making money if my franchisor wasn't taking all of my money, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I, I'm, I'm going to forget them because I don't have them in front of me, but there's the we stage, Glee. Oh, I'm going to forget, but you can, you can look it up and um, share that with your... Share. Yes, share that with your listeners. Um, but it helps it helps people who are, and this could probably go to any business, but especially a franchise business is um, b- when you're paying someone, yeah. you expect a ongoing value. okay? And at some level, you're going to learn, most of what you need to know to be successful in your business. And that, that value that your franchisor is giving you may become less and less diminished over time. Uh And you think, well, I could do this without my franchisor. Mm. And that's part of That's one of the stages. And so looking at your company and I have some very mature franchisees that they probably could do it on their own. But, you know, so I, as a franchisor, I have to continually provide value in the support, in the marketing and branding, um, you know, protecting the trademark, all of those types of things. Those are things that I have to continually look for. So, yeah, that, and that's where the branding piece is 
huge. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it really is in all businesses, you know, and we underestimate the power of that, but really because the internet has made it so much easier to learn and figure things out and deliver services and sell products, the things that if it, the things you can't replicate are brand. Right. So have you talked? Have you talked at all? Sorry to interrupted you. No, 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 please. <laughs> okay. Um, have you talked at all on your podcast about marketing branding funds? No. Okay. So sounds like um, a good topic for another. Yeah. Show. Yeah. I'll just give your <laughs> listeners just a little bit of information about what that is. So um, when you're looking to purchase a franchise, you have a franchise fee, which on average is 25 to 50,000, depending on the brand. Um you have ongoing royalties, which is usually six to eight percent, depending on the brand. You have um, marketing branding fund, which is one to three percent, depending on the brand. And most fees, I mean, most companies have technology fees, which I think are on average about 350. Now, Google your own information there, but th- those are Shannon's Shannon's averages, as I've sure. talked to many franchisors um, around the country. But um, we most most brands have a marketing branding fund, and one of the trends that I've seen uh, recently is the marketing branding funds going from one percent of sales to like three percent of sales um, because of digital marketing because the, the franchisor thinks that they can spend those dollars more in a more wise fashion um, with more bang for their buck than the franchisee necessarily in their local area wouldn't get as much um, ROI with that 3% if they spend it in their own location. Now, with our brand and with most other brands, you still need to do your hyper hyper local marketing. But if you have a franchisor that is also doing some national marketing and branding with those dollars, it can just increase your brand awareness. Yeah, it's just so important. We sh- we should yeah. definitely do a show where we we dissect that a little bit further yeah. so people understand what they're getting into. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Thanks for sharing that. That the, the sure. trend that the trend has been increasing. Yes. Um, so if I'm, okay, so let's, I, I want to dive in. There's, I know the listeners have some burning questions about just between friends. Sure. We talked about it being a service-based business, no mm-hmm. fixed location. Right. Twice a year, you're required to have events. What's the cost to get into just between friends? So the franchise fee is... As of today. Uh, yeah, as of today, 17900 is our franchise fee. Okay. And we bill our franchise system as part-time supplemental or flexible supplemental. I think our newer franchisees work it a lot because it takes a lot to get it going, like to get the snowball going down the road. It, it takes a lot of, um, just to get your community to understand con- a consignment event, a pop-up event. Um, a marketplace to buy and sell gently used children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment. So if they're not familiar with that, a lot of people don't understand consignment. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to get that going. And then... So that fee helps helps to educate you? The, well, the seventeen nine is the franchise fee. Right. And that goes to corporate. And that is the training. That covers training. That covers um, us protecting the trademark. Um, you ele- getting the brand... 
um, from us Mm -hmm. and getting a protected territory. So we give zip codes. Um, I'm going to ask these questions in a very 101 fashion. So Ah, just bear bear with me there. So, okay. And the territories in terms of zip codes. So if I'm a franchisee and I'm in San Diego, I, I pay that fee and I have the rights for the nine two, you know, one, two, two area code zip, excuse me, zip code and, and a couple others. So I will tell you in our brand, the way we figure out your territory is based on event venue availability. So you have to do your venue research as part of your process before we will actually sell you a franchise. Oh, and do you help us do that? Do you give us some steps? We give you lots of tips and some handholding. We don't do the phone calls for you and the research for you, but we tell you where to look. Um, questions to ask. We have a whole spreadsheet on what you need to know. It's not just how much is your venue. It's price per square foot. It is, I mean, I think there's like 50 questions. Okay. Uh, do you charge for load in, load out days? It's, it's all the things that we know because we're in the industry, but unless you're in the industry, you wouldn't know. Right, and right. So we give that information to our applicants who get to a certain stage in the process. Right. And once they find their venue that is cost effective, so if there's a price per square foot that we don't want them to go above because then they're not mm-hmm. going to make any money. And um, once they get their venue taken care of, um, then we start putting together the territory. And our minimum territories are about 100,000 in population, but our average territory is about 250, 300,000 in population. And we, we even boil okay. it down to the demographics with families with children ages zero to 10 and even look at some psychographics too. So if, if I'm even thinking that this is a, a concept I'm interested in, I could start there. Could I look, I mean, before I even get into the application process with you all, could I do a little Googling or find some site that gives me some demographic information about my area so I yeah. just even know I'm even close to a fit? Yeah, that's absolutely. But we'll, we will, um, we help you when we get that demographic information for you. And that's, so when you give us your venue locations that we we create the territory around that location. Okay. Because, okay. yeah. And, and your location can change over time, but your right. protected zip codes need to stay the same and your event needs to be within that. So that's why I think they're so large. The territories are much larger than maybe a brick and mortar location would be. Got it. No, that makes sense. And you're, you're getting a lot of people together on a specific day. So you have to have access to a pretty big yes. pool of, of people. Yeah. So, okay. So then I get through the process. I'm awarded the franchise mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I've gone through training. I'm learning the consignment business. What kind of time and ramp up does it take just to, to do an event? My, my first event. So best case scenario, six months. Uh, okay. Four months is is what it probably a sweet spot for people um, because we only do training three or four times a year. And so like we just had our June training and our June training, some of our franchisees at our June training are having August events. 
that's not ideal. <laughs> mm. um, but it was based on the, the venue availability. And um, so it would be better if they were, if our June trainees were having late September, early October events, because that just gives them a little bit more ramp up time. Makes sense. So um, yeah, you can do it three to four months. It's um, like planning a wedding on steroids, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> should I be, if I'm thinking of this, should I consider myself one of those people who always plans the events? I love event planning and organizing activities. That would be, you would have a step above the next person. If you had event planning experience, um, if you had sales and marketing experience, I'll, I'll tell you for any franchise brand, no matter if it's just between friends or if it's any other brand, Erin, I feel like there's three or four different personality traits you need to have. You, you either need to be a great marketer, you need to have great administrative you know, be able to be your own boss and be able to do that. And this is if it's an owner operator or be great at finances or operations. So those four things, um, many brands require you to be good at multiple things. Like we need you to be great at operations. We need you to be great at marketing. Okay. The finance side, not necessarily because you can pay someone to do that for you. Uh, the administrative side, absolutely, it helps if you're organized. But what we're looking for is someone who can operate an event and market the heck out of it okay. because that's what it's going to take in our brand. Now, if you're looking at a different brand, maybe they need you to be great at finance and great at administration. So right. you need to look at that and think, okay, is this the right fit for my personality and my skill set? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That no, that's, those it. are some really good tips. That's, yeah. I mean, that's really helpful and yeah. would, would help get me to the conclusion about whether this is a fit for me right, right off the bat. Right. Okay. So just back to the event, I'm going to ask you some of the questions that are, I know are kind of in the no, no land, yeah, like, sure. but, but that are on everyone's mind. Like, okay. Well, well one, okay. This is not in the no, no land. This is the, <laughs> this is the, I have young kids. I have a family. I have a husband or partner or whatever. What kind of time is this going to take? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's one that we spend a lot of time talking to applicants about because it's super, super important. So uh, because our brand is um, really, we get a lot of women because it's uh, flexible. You can do it around your own schedule. You can do it around your kid's schedule, except for the actual event. You can work till three in the morning. You could get up at, you can get up at three in the morning to get your stuff done uh, while your kids are sleeping. Um, so it's super flexible. But one thing that I caution, um, in fact, when I used to do the interviewing, this was the first question that I asked. I said, what does your spouse or significant other think about this opportunity for you? Because if they are not on board, it's not going to work. It's not. Um, And I don't want to put families in a position where they are getting a divorce over a business situation because the, the, um, the person running the business and operating the business is going to go from being mom and wife who has a meal on the table at six o'clock every night to being a business owner too. (laughs) And trying to juggle those and balance that. And sometimes that doesn't go over well. So I really um, encourage 
um, especially married couples, to talk about their expectations when it comes to business ownership and see if the the hours that are going to be needed in the brand are something that they really think that they could put into it. So we tell our, um, this is, this is in, I think this is in the first call or the second call when we talk to um, applicants, it's that um, you need to plan on working 20 hours every week on this business in the off season and full time when it's about probably six or eight weeks before the event. Mm-hmm. Be, and, and maybe it's not that much. Like if you're on vacation for a week or two, your business is not going to fall apart because you weren't spending 20 hours a week in the off season, but you have to treat it um, like a business, not like a hobby. Right. And so okay. that's, so that's kind of where we set the expectation. Okay. That's, that's a good reference point. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. So then the next question that's so sort of in that no, no land I know uh, from you is, what kind of results can I ex- can I possibly expect if I'm going to decide to commit this much time to right. running a business? So I will tell you where we want you to be. How's that? Maybe that could. That, yeah, no, that's great. I, I and just just so our listeners are aware, mm-hmm. and Shannon, you can expand upon this. Uh, franchisors have some limitations in terms of what they can talk about with regards to profitability and results. And that's that's highly regulated. And there's a reason for that. It's for your protection so that you're not being promised something and then, you know... It doesn't come through. And, and then it doesn't come through. So, right. so I'm asking Shannon a question and she can only answer to a certain extent. Right. Um, so you so heard me talk about, thank you yeah, for, thank you for, and that's yeah. called the item 19. If you that's look right. at the franchise disclosure document, which is the contract that anyone who purchases a franchise will sign, there's 23 items in every FDD and item 19 is the one where you will go to look to see if they are giving you any information about the financials of the performance of the franchisees. Right. And, um, in fact, that's probably the first place I look when I'm looking at an FDD for someone is I go pour over the financials to see if this would be, you know, because everyone comes into the business having an expectation, okay, I need to bring in $60,000 a year. I need to bring in $100,000 a year. I need to bring in 75000 You know, you come into it with an expectation of if I'm going to leave my job and open this franchise, what do I need to do? So it's, I'm glad you pointed that out. So a lot of, uh, I would, I would guess that probably 80% of franchisors have an item 19. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but some don't for specific reasons. Um, But yeah, that's a great place to go look. So um, if you remember earlier in the podcast, I talked about validation and talking to franchise owners, that is where you're going to get the best information. Mm -hmm. And um, you can, you know, it's really open season. You can ask any question. It doesn't mean that they're going to answer it, but you know, you can say, Hey, do you feel like you've gotten an ROI on this business yet? And you want to look and see how long they've been in the, been in the brand. Our, our particular brand is more of, it takes a longer time to ramp up and I call it stair step because your first event, our goal for our very first time franchise event is between 10 and $20,000 in sales. Okay. That's where we want you. And that's That's selling gently used children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment. So we want you to be in that 10 to $20,000 range. And that's gross. That's gross revenue. That's gross. gross. Yes. What kind of percentage do we typically 
take. So that's one of those things I can't say. Got it. (laughs) Understand. That's called an earnings claim. But I can tell you, um, sixty to seventy percent goes back into the families in the community who brought their items. So if you do the math right there, after cost of goods sold, which are the the items that are coming, um, you've got about thirty five percent of sales to work with. We have other revenue streams mm-hmm. that are coming in to, to help that, but um, you can kind of just keep that in mind. So okay. um, I will tell you, um, after you do the validation, look at the item 19. Um, oh, I had something else I was going to say. and validation. It has gone- where, where you want us to be, maybe? Oh yeah. So it, it does a ramp up. So mm-hmm. um you know, 10 to 20,000 for a first event, we want you on the way to being what we call a top achiever, which is doing a hundred thousand in sales per event. Now we do have some franchisees. If you look in our item 19 in our franchise disclosure mm-hmm. document, you will see the list of our top 10 people. Um, our highest performing franchise owner had an event last year. She did $610,000. Whoa. Our lowest performing franchisee, I think, did 5000 Okay. So you can see the... <laughs> yeah, there's a big range. There's yeah. a big range. And it really depends on your skill set, your ability to, to market your event, your availability. I think um, people come into our brand specifically and they have full-time jobs and they don't want to work full-time. They want to stay home, maybe mm-hmm. have a part-time gig. And um, so this is something good, but it's, it's difficult to get there when you're working full time. And yeah, that we do, we do have people that do that. It, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer mm-hmm. to get there if you have a right. full-time job. But yeah, there's a range. No, I appreciate you pointing out the, the top and bottom ranges. And yes. just even having some numbers gives us a good good reference point. Yeah, and that's per yes. event. So that's not annual and that's gross. So that's not in your pocket. Right. So that right. is sales. So I think that particular franchise owner, what we encourage, Aaron, in our brand is if you want to do this full-time, as your main business, instead of buying a brick and mortar, be a multi-unit franchise owner with us. Buy three or four units. And Which is territories is, in your uh, case? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. three or four territories. So our number one franchise owner, she's actually, she has our number one location and our number two location. And then she has two other locations, which are in the top uh, 50. Um, so she owns four franchises. I believe her... Um, well, I probably shouldn't say, I don't know that she would want me saying, but she does very well, but she also owns four locations and she's a master marketer. So those results are not typical, but if you own multiple franchises with us you sh- and work at full time and it's your job, you should, you should have a good time, be able to serve the community and, um, just it, this business is a feel good business. We're a, we're a Christian that. organization and, all of our franchises benefit in part nonprofits and I don't know. It's just, it's fun. And you know, I'm excited about talking. Yeah. Well, I just, I love to talk to brands and companies and especially I like to attract the kind of brands to franchise rising that have that sort of set of core values, whatever they may be and just that clear purpose. And then, cause you know, as women and and men too, but just in particular, because that's our audience for the show. Yeah, many of us are looking to make an impact and have some purpose and something that, you know, that that hits the hits our why. You know, yep. a really powerful why of why you we know, do this. Before the show, you and I were talking about our offices, and I was yep. showing you my office. And so, right behind me, I have our mission statement. It's actually up on the wall. Okay, um, that is. I'm sorry. 
No, go ahead. When we're done, will you take a snapshot of it and send yes. it to me and then we'll put it out there? Yeah, absolutely. But it's um, to glorify God by bringing families together in a welcoming, friendly venue to be good stewards of what they've been given. And it. It, it, that is our why. Uh, because, and I, and I tell this story at, um, at training as well, because I no longer uh, work in our franchises. So I'm, I'm strictly corporate now. I, I run the corporate office. We have 10 employees. And so we support our 150 plus franchisees. Um, and because I'm not in the um, events very often, you, you just forget what the reason sometimes, the reason you're in business. And one of my last times that I was running a register at the Tulsa event where, you know, where it, st- where it all started, uh, we had grown to a huge event, like 1,500 participating families. And on the last day of all of our events, it's the 50% off day. And so this is where you get a little bit of a different demographic of people. It's people who really, they can't shop retail. They can't even shop your um your normal 50 to 90% off retail, they have to wait till it's 50 to 90% off retail and half price to be able to shop. And, um, I had a gal come through my line. She looked to be about 17 years old. She was fully pregnant and she had four items and it was a bag of bottles, some burp cloths, um, three onesies and another thing in a bag that I can't remember what it was. Um, and I rang it up and it was $10 and 80 cents. And so I was like, it's 10 80. And she was like, Oh, she looked embarrassed, just overcome like, Oh, and she was like, I didn't know you charge sales tax. And, um, so she was having to look at those four core items that she was getting. She did not have a mom with her, not a friend with her. No one. She was a pregnant teenager. And she was having to look and decide, do I not want the onesies or don't, do I not want the bottles, you know? And, of course, I was just like, take it. And then I ran in the yeah. back and started crying, you know, but it's like, that is, that is why we're in business. Like it's, everyone doesn't have the opportunity to buy retail and even people who can't afford to buy retail, they don't want to pay retail prices. And so we give them an opportunity to do that. Our franchisees give them an opportunity to do that. And you can walk away. The events are tiring. They are so, so tiring. It's just, um, but it, when you look and see the amount of families that you've helped save so much money and they're able to send their child to school, their child doesn't have on high water pants, their child maybe has something of a brand name that they wouldn't have had before, they're not going to get made fun of, maybe that they would have been made, you know, so those are things that we take for granted, many of us take for granted, and um, just being able to give your child a little bit of dignity, because we provided this service, and that's, oh, sorry. No, I love that, and (laughs) It strikes a chord on so many levels. So you're making an impact not only with those families or teens or people who just don't have the means to make ends, you know, cannot make ends meet. Right. So you're making an impact at that layer. And then with how many franchisees now do you we have? have or how many? I think we have 151 right now. So 151 units, mm-hmm. units or yeah. franchisees. Right. Okay. It's interchangeable. Yeah. So some more, yeah. So 151 franchisees are now running their own business. They're entrepreneurs. They're making right. an impact that's just trickling down everywhere. So I love, right. 
I just, I, I love how in, in, at the beginning of our interview, you talked about how with this business, you've been able to bless so many lives. Yes. Right? Yes. And so, and that it's a perfect example of how you're, it is. It is. I love it. It's when we hit the 1 million mark of customers, I, you know, it's, I sit back and I'm in my day to day, just like every other business person, you're in the day to day. And then when you realize, Oh, I get a lump in my throat just thinking about it. Like how many families have been able to make money and save money with just between friends over the last 15 years. And, and I told you before we actually started the podcast today that I was in California last week, visiting an event. And, um, I got to meet two specific people at the Sacramento event where I got to sit down and just kind of hear a little bit of their story. And one of them is that um, she took her whole family to Disney world on the proceeds that she makes at JBF. And while that that's like a luxury thing, it's also something that I think a lot of families aspire to do with, with and for their kids. And the fact that the, the reason she was able to do that is because um, she's consigned. She, I think that took her three, three years of consigning. She saved enough to be able to, to take her family to Disney world. And yeah. So making memories that'll last a lifetime. Yes. Yes. So we hear lots of stories like that. It's, it's, um, it's definitely a feel good business. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, Hey Shannon, I like to thank you so much for all this wonderful information and I love to end the, our episodes with a few questions. Sure. So one, what's the best business advice you've ever received? Oh my goodness gracious. Nice best business advice. First off, I am open to advice, so wide open to advice that I, I just about will take anyone's advice. Um, and I love to give advice too. So I, I think... Um, something that I have done and I can't remember who told me this or if this was just in me, but, um, I surround myself with smart people. Um, I realized a long time ago that I didn't know how to do everything and probably was killing myself to try to be all things to all people. Um, and one of my girls that's on my executive team, she, she taught me about strengths finder. And I don't know if you've ever heard of StrengthsFinder, StrengthsFinder 2.0, but she said, Shannon, you don't have to be good at everything because everyone is not good at every, you have weaknesses and it's okay to have weaknesses, but you need to play to your strengths and work in your strengths and pay someone else to work in your weaknesses. And so what that would look like for me would be, I remember about probably seven or eight years ago, I was in a mastermind group with three other women and each of them had a blog and they were all three writing a book. And they're like, Shannon, you need to have a blog. You need to write a book. And I felt the peer pressure, like, Oh my gosh, I've got to do this. And so I I sat down to write a blog and it took me five hours to write this blog, five hours. And I was like, no, I could be using my genius time somewhere else. And this is not it. So now I pay someone to write my book, right. um, but it was just talking about using your accommodating skills. So I think give yourself permission to not be good at everything. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there are only so many, tw- so many hours in a day as well. So right. you have to be really smart about where you spend your time and attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what, what advice would you give to a, a, a woman considering buying a franchise, whether it's her first or subsequent, first, second, third? Um, look at your goals. 
Like, what do you want to achieve by purchasing the franchise? And what do you want your life to look like um, when, when you purchase it and when you're done with the franchise? Because I think it's really important to go with an end in mind. Because if you don't, if you're not focused on where you want to go, it's very difficult. I mean, it's very easy to let all the other things in life fill in the space and time and where you aren't able to meet your goals. So number one, define your goals and work towards your goals. Um, And then when you're looking at um, particular franchises to buy or a different business to open, make sure that your participation in that brand is going to get you to those goals. I love it. Great advice. All right. So last but not least. There's a lot more where that came from. Oh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Just a wealth, wealth of information. Uh, do you, can you tell us about uh, a, another female franchisee who's rocking it? A franchisee or a franchisor? How about a franchisee? Not in my brand or another brand. Up to you. Okay, so I've got a girlfriend who um, she is in a brand called uh, Pino's Palette. Have you heard? Oh, yes, they're on. They're on my radar. Yes. Okay. So um, the franchisee in this location, um, I mean in Tulsa, I said in this location um, in Tulsa, she has three franchises in this location of Pino's Palette, and she is a cancer survivor, and she's one of my dear friends, and. Um, it's awesome because we're in a CEO group with seven other people. And in that, in that particular CEO group, I have three or four of them are franchisees in brands. And it's great because I'm the lone franchisor. And so when I'm, when I'm struggling with things to do corporate wise, they give me their perspective as franchisees and how it will come across to my franchisees. And I do that when they need to approach their corporate office with something and just giving them advice on maybe how that should be handled, et cetera. But she's killing it. She, her three franchisees, franchises are doing very well and she's just vibrant and like I said a cancer survivor and amazing her name's Lisa Riley Lisa Riley okay thank you so much for sharing yeah yeah that's great all right well hey Shannon thank you so much for everything it was wonderful having you on the show thank you for having me yeah all right if you're curious to learn more about just between friends go ahead and go to justbetweenfriends.com Find them on social media, come to FranchiseRising.com, and you can get the show notes as well for the episode. We'd also love a review if you enjoyed the show. I know that time is one of the precious things you don't get back. And I really appreciate you taking your time to listen to the Franchise Rising podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more, hit subscribe. Or if you don't know how to subscribe, just go to FranchiseRising.com slash subscribe and we'll guide you to the right place there. Until next time, have a great week.